Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. We'll be talking about picking soybean varieties, not just for yield, but for disease tolerance. What are some of those things that, if you don't have it in the variety, it's just really tough to manage out in the field? We'll discuss some of those today. If you've got some defensive soybean characteristics that you feel are really important to success on your farm, we'd love you to share them. 844-44-AG-PHD is our phone line. That'll be open throughout the show today. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. Well, this is kind of a fun topic for me. I, when I think about variety selection, Brian and I differ just a little bit. Brian thinks, well, variety selection, yeah, it's important, but it's not that important. I'm not going to worry about it if I miss out on a certain variety. I'll, I'll just plant the next one, and it's not that much of a difference. And you know what? On the top-end yield side, I will absolutely agree with him. If you solve a lot of the problems in your field, like drainage and fertility issues, and you have everything the best it can be, a lot of varieties are going to yield about the same. I go back to a story from 2002. I was on Francis Child's farm at the time. He was the world record corn grower. And I was talking to Francis about, you know, do you look at new varieties each year on your own farm? And and what do you see with that? And he said, well, he goes, actually, I do have a, a little plot that I really baby. I look at a lot of new varieties that are coming out. And he said, last year... He goes, I know it's going to sound a little unbelievable, but I had a variety yield 577 bushels. And I said, wow, that is incredible. So is that the variety that you planted this year? And he's like, well, no, but uh, I was, <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? Well, 577 bushels at the time, I think the world record was 420 or something. And I said, why, why wouldn't you plant a bunch of that on the farm? He goes, well, I don't know it good enough yet. I, I'm going to look at another year here, but... He said, honestly, it wasn't significantly different from the next competitors. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, I had three numbers that were 570 or better in that plot. And you think about it. He had eliminated the weeds. He'd eliminated disease. He'd eliminated insects. He had the fertility, the best that he could do it. And when he did that, the top three numbers were all within a small grouping, even at 570-plus bushels. So, wow, that's that's pretty impressive. And I think for most of us on the farm, if we're, we're talking 200-bushel yield environments, you think about that. If he was that close in a almost 600-bushel environment, that's three times as much yield. On our farms, eh, there's some other things out there that, that could make the difference. Now, on soybeans, I'd say the same thing, and, and we do a lot of test plots especially around the five-state area, right around where we live. And we look at a lot of differences out there. So we try to get different soil types and different moisture conditions and those kinds of things and different management. But probably the biggest thing we've seen is if we get that fertility piece right uh, and the drainage piece right, we can do pretty well in just about any environment with many different varieties. But Let's say things aren't perfect on your farm. I'll use iron deficiency chlorosis as an example. We were just talking about iron earlier this week on the show. And one of the comments made was, well, if pH gets high, especially above 7.4, a lot of the iron converts from the available ferrous form to the unavailable 
ferric form. And that's strictly a function of pH. Well, if you've got a pH that's way off, and let's just say that you're up in the eights on your farm, and we get a lot of soil tests each week that come in with pHs up in the eights, you're going to have an issue with iron deficiency chlorosis. And when you look at soybean varieties, there's maybe 10% of them that are pretty decent on iron deficiency chlorosis, pretty good at producing enough acid to convert enough of that iron in to supply the iron needs of the plant and handling uh, this conversion process inside the plant. I, I don't know all the details that go into how these varieties completely do it, but I knew I do know this. There's 10% of the varieties out there that don't yellow up near as bad as the other 90% do. Well, if you think about it, if iron deficiency chlorosis is a problem on your farm, you've only got 10% of all the varieties out there at most to choose from instead of 100% of the varieties out there. So we want to take care of those problems long term so we don't have to choose soybean varieties that can tolerate our bad conditions. I think about other things like soybean cyst nematode, and we've talked about that here uh, this week as well. With soybean cyst nematode, there are two different traits that are out there, the Peking and the Fayette, or otherwise called PI88788. Well, we're starting to see the Fayette fail, and so we're seeing more demand for these Peking varieties. Well, how many Peking varieties are out there? Maybe 5% of the market. So again, if this is a real issue for you, now you've got to choose, instead of the best out of 20 varieties at your maturity, now you've got to choose it out of only five varieties. So that's a problem. Do your best to manage that so you don't find yourself in that situation. When it comes to diseases, frog eye is one we hear a lot about. And uh, I know we, we talk to growers down in the south quite often who say, I got to pick a tremendous frog eye bean or I'm going to be in trouble. Again, how many soybeans have great ratings on frog eye? <sighs> Not that many compared to all the varieties that are out there. So what can you do on that? Well, in terms of diseases, some of these diseases, like frog eye, you can manage. It's just that it can come for such a long period of time during the growing season. We've actually seen some pretty good data on using Zyway at planting time on soybeans, and that's one that I would say using it in a 2 by 2 or if you had the Thrive 3D system to put it out in a foam band to spread it out better, that would be an option for you. Uh, then you look at another disease uh, like brown stem rot, well, you either have varietal resistance or you don't. And so if you know brown stem rot can be an issue on your farm, we, we've got brown stem rot issues occasionally, maybe once every five years on our farm. we got to pick beans that have decent level of brown stem rot resistance in them. So we'll talk about some more of these disease tolerance traits in soybean varieties and which ones are critical for your success on today's program. We'll also be taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at FarmShopMFG.com. 
Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. Get the most from every acre on your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and soybeans, a soils clinic, and a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information and we can't wait to share it with you. Best of all, these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Register today at agphd.com. The greatest herbicide of all time earned its title by defending your soybean fields. Authority Supreme Herbicide's low-use rate formula delivers longer-lasting control of broadleaf weeds and grasses, providing you with the best-in-class combination of Group 14 PPO herbicide sulfentrazone and Class 15 molecule pyroxysulfone that outlasts the competition. We're Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC, and we play to win. Learn more at authoritysupreme.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio, taking your calls and questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. I was talking about frog eye leaf spot uh, before the break, and and that's one where I mentioned you could start with Zyway down. It does have pretty good suppression of frog eye, and then follow up with foliar applications, and, and I get it. Uh, there's timing on the foliar apps is, is critical. They only last for two or three weeks, so you've got to do multiple treatments, those kinds of things. I'm not saying don't pick a variety with good frog eye tolerance, but I'm saying there are a few other things you can do to help yourself out. If you find a great variety that checks most of the boxes, but that one, well, it's okay, but it's not great done. Hey, you can do everything else under your power to try to fix that. I mean, some diseases that blow in, there isn't a lot you can do about it. You just have to uh, put whatever preventative treatments out you can. But we're talking today about picking varieties that have certain disease tolerances to help yourself out. And, you know, there are some, like brown stem rot that I mentioned, you can pick fully resistant varieties, and that's wonderful. I wish the same was true for white mold. (laughs) Brian, a lot of times, will talk about sclerotinia white mold because... It's about as tough as they come for diseases in soybeans and a number of other crops. And it's one where, okay, you can find a variety that has some level of tolerance, but there are no varieties with true resistance out on the market today that are just never going to see any level of white mold whatsoever show up. So you've got to do all of the other things that you can to try to help yourself out. And when I think about white mold, one of the characteristics I look for is standability. If I've got issues with most diseases, if I can keep a soybean variety standing upright, that helps. The other thing you can do is some of the cultural things. If diseases are a great big problem for you, perhaps thinning out that stand a little bit, planting a little lower population or spreading your rows just a little bit wider with some diseases like white mold being an example, that's been shown to help. So there are some cultural things that you can do as well. And just being willing to make some changes. I was just talking about it with a a couple of folks yesterday that, 
you know, perhaps the most frustrating thing in farming is you can be doing something and you can do it for a few years and everything's working out great. And all of a sudden it's not working out so much anymore because something in nature has figured out how to beat your system. And, you know, a great example on this white mold topic is where do you see white mold? Well, you see it in the areas of your field that are the best yielding. You know, if you saw it in the area that, okay, it's a sandy knoll and my corn averages 50 bushel over there, who cares? But when you see it in the area that you're getting 300 bushel corn and 100 bushel soybeans, the economic loss is so huge that you've got a crop canopy that is so lush, it keeps the soil temperature cooler underneath it. It provides a lot of shade, which is great for fungal species to develop. You've got more moisture underneath the canopy, which again is great for fungal species, and we just see more issues. So you have to look at some of the things that you can do different. Uh, one thing, too, that uh, we've had a lot of comments about is controlling the height of your crop. And there's a lot of talk about shorter corn hybrids out there. And honestly, I like shorter corn hybrids in a lot of situations. I don't like four-foot-tall corn, but I do like seven-foot-tall corn. I think you've got a pretty nice root system underneath seven-foot-tall corn plants. What I've seen too often on four-foot-tall corn plants is the ears are too close to the ground, and I have some issues with dry down and harvestability, and the root system is not that big. We often talk about the root system is oftentimes going to have about as much mass as the above-ground portion of the plant. Well, if you've got a four-foot-tall plant versus a seven-foot-tall or ten-foot-tall plant, a lot of times what I've seen anyway, at least my observations have been, eh, you have a four-foot-tall root system instead of a seven- or ten-foot-tall root system. So you just have less root mass. And now, granted, you don't need quite as much of an anchor to hold that plant and, and keep it upright, but the the trade-off to that is you don't have as many roots seeking out water and nutrients, and you just don't have quite the top-end yield when we shorten those corn plants up too far, at least from what I've seen so far. Maybe that will change going forward. Um, what about seven-foot-tall corn? Haven't seen that as a problem. Uh, even coming west into the Dakotas and the western corn belt, uh, I think seven-foot-tall corn is just fine and has tons of potential for us. So that's something to think about. With soybean varieties, we often see varieties that are a full bush, very uh, broadly branched plants. Uh, and I know folks will say, well, a lot of times I don't see as much disease tolerance out of those varieties. Some of that is the crop canopy, and you can offset some of that by planting at lower populations. So you should think about that. I mean, don't just think, well, it must be the variety. I'll switch varieties. There are ways to make most of these varieties work pretty well. So be willing to make a few changes on the farm if need be to, to help and assist the variety that you're putting out there. Don't just say, well, I got a soybean variety. It's just going to have to survive in whatever conditions are. But it's kind of like if you ever watch sports and you say, well, there's a great coach. Well, what's the difference between a good coach and a great coach? The great coach often changes how they do things depending on what they have for players. I look at a, a good soybean variety or a good corn hybrid or you know, just good variety selection in general with whatever crop that you've got. All right, that's one piece of this puzzle. That's a player for me. I've got to adjust my in my job as a coach to try and get the most out of each player that's out on the field. 
you know, disease tolerance, yeah, you don't know from one year to the next. It's not every year that we're going to have white mold or not every year that frog eye leaf spot's going to be terrible. But I know that we can have those things from time to time. So we just have to set the table up the best we can for success with each variety that we're putting out there. And, and then here's the other thing, too. Uh, we talked to, to folks that will say, well, it's got to be uh, – uh, this is one that David Hewlett would always say. It's, oh, it's got to be Pioneer Seed and John Deere Green Tractors. And you know whatever your favorite is, maybe you like red tractors or you like green tractors. I, I don't really care. Or, or which brand of seed you like to plant. Don't just have blinders on that, well, it's got to be in this brand's bag or it won't be any good. Um, that's not the case. Uh, take a look around. Look, look at what else is out there in the industry and, and find some good varieties. If you can't find the right defensive traits with the brand that you plant because they're very loyal to one breeding program or another, take a look around the industry. Tar Spot has been a, a great observation uh, from a corn standpoint. Yeah, some of the breeding companies that were really dominant in areas where Tar Spot was most prevalent, well, they didn't have the best Tar Spot tolerance. It's getting a little bit better each year, and that's good. But for a few years there, if you're losing 50 or 60 bushels because you got a horrible hybrid for tar spot and you're doing everything else right, putting fungicides out and rotating crops and so forth, man, maybe you should look at, at planting something a little different. It's the same thing with soybeans here. If you're really having a problem with something and the brand that you've got just doesn't have good tolerance to that disease or resistance to that disease, but there's another brand that does, Take a look. Uh, see what you can find on your farm. Uh, you've got to survive this year, and if you don't have the right tools to do that, it, it makes it that much tougher. What do you What do you look at for disease tolerance in your soybeans? What are some key factors for you on your farm? Love to hear what you're thinking about this. You can call us at 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. The other thing I'd say to go along with this discussion, in addition to doing all your research on soybean varieties, is do your homework on your soils. As I mentioned before, drainage is a real big deal. If you have poor drainage, you're just going to necessarily have more disease problems in your field. So if you get a drainage issue, work on that. I was just talking to a grower from up in the Red River Valley up on the Minnesota-North Dakota border and he said, you know, the biggest mistake we made is not putting in the tile 15 years sooner. And the biggest, second biggest mistake we made is not putting it in at narrower spacings because where we did, it, it worked better for us. Hey, tile's a big thing. The other one, as I mentioned a couple of times, is fertility. If you're short in plant food, that plant is under stress. And if the plant's under stress, just like you and I as humans, if we're under stress, we can't fight off disease as well. So we want to have good plant health throughout the whole season. Taking a great soil test, um, you know, we do one acre grids on our farm, which I realize is probably extreme compared to what most people are doing. But at least one time in your life, take some small grids out there, find the variances in your field and address them. It will improve disease tolerance in all soybean varieties. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. 
Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valen.com fierce to find the right Fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. Take your tillage to the next level with the Insight Universal Tillage Tool from McFarland Ag. With more adjustability and flexibility, the Insight is the ultimate one-pass tillage tool. Visit McFarlandAg.com to find your closest dealer. Join us in Houston for Commodity Classic, America's largest farmer-led, farmer-focused agricultural and educational event, New Frontiers in Agriculture, February 28th through March 2nd, 2024. Houston, we have no problem. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. My mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out caseih.com. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plans, do you think you could cut your farm's fertility expenses, maybe even increase your yields? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're holding our Ag PhD Soils Clinic on Tuesday, January 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the single most important day you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com. Can you predict the future? I can't. That's why when I'm planting soybeans, I treat with Heads Up Seed Treatment. With more than 15 years of research, Heads Up offers proven protection against both white mold and sudden death syndrome. So no matter what the year throws at you, you've already taken that first step to be prepared. Don't let your beans suffer from disease when they're just starting to look their best. Tell your seed dealer you need Heads Up Seed Treatment. Learn more at headsupst.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about soybean variety selection and some of those key defensive traits that you need to look for. We're taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD as well. Let's head out to North Carolina. Got Kevin Matthews on with us right now. Farms out there and uh, works with the Extreme Ag Group. How you doing, Kevin? Doing fine, sir. Hope you guys are. Yeah, yeah, things are going pretty well. We got a nice forty-six degree day here, Kevin. So it's beautiful outside. We're getting getting a lot done. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually in Arizona in a meeting, and uh, it's it's about seventy-five here. So nice. <laughs> well, see, you're not getting that much done then. You're stuck inside working at a meeting, but. <laughs> You know, one of the things that is getting done uh, at a lot of desks and uh, in a lot of offices right now is choosing soybean varieties. What are some of the key disease tolerances that you need in your part of North Carolina? 
Yeah, well, in our area, sudden death is something, you know, we're always looking out for, so the Sarcospora, and then um, Frog Eyes, always another big one we're looking for. And um, and ironically, last year we had some issues with some stem canker that um, we don't normally have that much problem with in our area, but it just seemed to pop up in some varieties. And, uh, and those soybean varieties had some pretty good scores on stem canker, but um, we just look for an all-around really defensive product there. Um, to try to minimize any challenges that we might face during that growing season. Yeah, it really makes a difference. And you would think, well, when you look at dozens and maybe hundreds of yield trials that the seed companies are looking at, that there'd be enough disease out there to kick out some of these varieties that are just strictly offensive. But that's not been what I've found over the last, I don't know, 30 years, that there's always some beans out there that absolutely stink on defense. And if everything goes right, they could be great. But more times than not, it seems like one of these defensive things is really going to come into play. Absolutely, yes. Uh, you know, those those racehorse varieties, we, we like them. You know, we like to see what kind of challenge it is if we can, you know, really manage and look after and prevent something on our end. But sometimes they can really bite you too. Yeah, I, I was kind of looking at it like a sports team earlier. I was talking about this, like this is just one of my players picking this variety. I have to figure out how to call the right plays and structure things around them for them to be successful. But some of those varieties, it's almost impossible to to make it through the year without them falling apart. So I'm I'm looking for defense as well. You mentioned sudden death syndrome to start out with, and you know it's those kinds of diseases that everything looks great. And then you hit the reproductive stages, and all of a sudden you got plants dying out there that nobody wants to see that in the middle of the year. Do you have good enough varieties in your area that can handle it on their own, or do you still need a Saltro or a Levo or heads-up seed treatment or something to, to try and give you some more boost? Yeah, we need we need some more boost. Um, you know, when you what we found is when the yields are – below 70 bushels we don't see it as bad when we when we have a really good bean crop that's when it really shines and we really like to you know do an excellent seed treatment we also like that we're adding some vellum in furrow this year or last year as well and we'll continue to do that this year we was really pleased with the results that we had just you know kind of doubling up yeah, I, I like it. I mean, you got to be willing to make some changes or you're going to keep getting the same problems over and over again. And, and sudden death syndrome is one. Sir is another one this year, Kevin, that a lot of guys got caught by that one late in the season. We had warm weather. We had some moisture late in the growing season, which is normally good for beans for overall yield potential. But diseases also like that, too. Yes, no question about it. And Sir Cosper is something we, we've bought for several years now. And you just got to have a really good defensive package, and and really, you know, if you can get a, you know, some genetic breeding where they're more resistant to it, it's better. I don't think none of them's just completely resistant to it. I think most, a lot are moderately, but I wouldn't say none of them's resistant. Um, and that's just it can be a bear. It can really cut some yields on too if you're not careful. 
You know, you mentioned the the stem canker and uh, Cercospora, a lot of varieties, you just don't see ratings on Cercospora, so you kind of have to go by experience on it. But stem canker, they do have ratings, and they're looking at southern stem canker, not northern stem canker. And that can be frustrating for me in the north, Kevin, because I don't have southern stem canker up here, but we do occasionally (laughs) see some northern stem canker. I've heard from a couple of seed breeders, they're starting to get better ratings on that one, but... With the southern stem canker, you're you're saying the ratings on that aren't exactly perfect either. Uh, it, you know, if not on this particular situation this past year, uh, you know, we actually did not realize it was stem canker. So we sent the plants off. Tim works for me. He sent them off, and um, they come back from the lab, and I was like, wow, I wasn't expecting that. This variety's got an eight out of a one to ten score with ten being the best and and, you know eight's really good score for stem canker and it just did not work out so it's kind of a new one for us we've not had to we've been spoiled with really good varieties so we're we're gonna have to back up and punt on this one on our seed selection you know we've we've seen a little bit of stem canker up in our way up in the north and and one of the things that I see is a lot of growers misidentify it. They think it's phytophthora, which starts from the bottom of the plant, literally from the ground level and works its way up. <laughs> That's or, what we thought it was till we got the results back. Yeah. You're 100% right. Yeah. And we so <laughs> so some of these things look pretty close. We we did put together the Ag PhD Soybean Diseases Guide, and I just throw this out for everyone listening, that uh, download that. It's free. We, we worked with the American Phyto pathological society to put that together and uh it's pretty neat we got a lot of different pictures on there so you can see what what things look like that's another um choice you have on each disease or what what looks like this and you can start comparing some and and sometimes yeah you're right you got to send them in or there's no way to know for sure but uh once you start seeing something on your farm uh, you get get to know it pretty well uh stem canker is one of those things that yeah if you don't have tolerance to that you're in big trouble and and frog eye too kevin this is one i know talking to your friend matt miles uh he said if i don't have great frog eye tolerance i'm in trouble because i just can't keep ahead Absolutely. of this thing is it the same in north carolina that it just keeps coming oh lord yeah 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 it, it's yeah it, it can be it can be vicious if it wants to be yeah i i am encouraged this year and i mentioned this earlier on the show that that the early tests on Zyway on soybeans have looked pretty good on frog eye now not good on every single disease didn't seem to help on white mold but um, which is what I was really hoping for, but it did seem to help on frog eye that at least there was less. It didn't stop it, but but at least there was less pressure, and maybe we can keep up with the fungicides after it. We we sure don't have the the frog eye as bad as you guys do, but but we do see some every year. Yeah, we had some Zyway on farm tests this year with the soybeans, and just you know, that's part of what we're doing out here today is going through data and. Um, I was kind of impressed when Danielle showed me the numbers on the soybeans because, as you well know, I'm usually picking corn and they're cutting soybeans. And uh, so reviewing that data is is kind of an eye-opener. We're going to have to – I need to do a little more studying on that and get another year's worth of, uh, you know, results because I certainly don't like to do it on one year's performance. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. We got to got to look at things multiple times and, and see because there's always outliers in the data, no doubt about that. And it, they aren't giving it away for free yet. As much as I like that product, it's not free. <laughs> so so it, it is an investment you want to get a good return on. And uh, today we're talking about one of those other things you want to get a good return on investment with is picking the right soybean varieties and keeping disease tolerance in mind. Kevin, thank you so much. Thanks for stepping out of the meeting and, and giving us a little bit of time and advice today. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you for all you guys do. Y'all have a happy Christmas if we don't see you before. You bet. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, one of the things between now and Christmas that, that we're going to get done on our farm is picking our soybean varieties and getting our seed order finalized and starting to, to figure out which fields we're going to put different varieties in. And Kevin mentioned a few different diseases there that, that I hadn't got to yet. And sudden death, death syndrome so far, not a big issue for us. Uh, but absolutely, that's another one that, that we're watching close and it's not very far away from our farm right now. So going to have to keep an eye out for that in addition to, to the other ones that we're always watching out for. Talking about disease tolerance in soybean varieties on today's show and also taking any agronomic questions you have at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. Your farm's greatest challenge is making sure your crop has enough fertility to reach its yield goals. But how do you know if you're applying too much of any one nutrient? Fine-tune your fertility plan with Verify. Your combine collects hundreds of yield data points per acre. Verify takes that data and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on crop removal. So you can be confident you're not over-applying. Get started today at Verify.com. That's V-R-A-F-Y.com. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. You have a lot at stake when it comes to raising corn. I'm Darren Hefty. That's why on Wednesday, January 17th, we're holding a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll help you navigate all the challenges of corn production, including how to manage exploding pest populations, resistant diseases, fertility challenges, and more. It's a day packed with information. 
Farms. If you want to get the most out of your corn this season, don't miss the free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Register now at agphd.com. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about soybean variety selection and different disease tolerance things to look for and, and ways to be more successful with beans on your farm. And our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD if you have any agronomic questions. Uh, let's head back to the phone lines. We've got Bill Backus with us right now with BASF. How you doing, Bill? Good, good. How are you? Pretty good. I wish there were perfect soybean varieties out there, that there was absolutely no disease that bothers them, but that's just not the case. It seems like every variety has got an Achilles heel here or there. Uh, what are some of those key ones, and what are some of the key things that we can do to, to be successful against the different diseases we face? Yeah, no, again, th- thanks for having me on again. Sorry, it's uh, a little bit later than what I planned here, but uh, we're traveling today. We just came back from a meeting uh, in uh, Illinois where we're talking about just that. Uh, we were talking about Variety selection, everything going forward, and, and thinking about uh, SDS, thinking about white mold, thinking about uh, we talk a lot about we got charcoal rot, you know, on on our on our list now too, and just just a lot of things that we want to look at. Soybean cyst nematode, big piece of the puzzle as we go forward here as well, and you know, just selecting that right variety from the get go to match it up to the environment, the acre uh, that, that we want to get it on is is a big piece of the puzzle. Yeah, you know, we see a lot of yield trial results coming out this time of year, and it gets us all excited that we see, oh boy, here's a new variety, and it it's up towards the top of the plots uh, multiple times. That looks exciting. But doing the extra homework and figuring out, wow, that doesn't have any protection about uh, for sudden death syndrome or doesn't have a nematode trait, uh, that might not be the best variety for me. We definitely got to look a little further than just looking at yield. Yeah, and that's what, you know, one thing I like to always say is it all turns to the seed and everything that we do for that, uh, once we select that seed variety, you know, each and every year is to how we treat it, where we place it, you know, what, what population we're going to drop it at, you know, what uh, other treatments, fungicide, you name it, fertility program that we're going to do with it. But all about that disease, you know, that definitely uh, can either make every year uh, going forward, you know, especially on the different environments that you have. So understanding what you have, you know, in your field and on your farm and, and just sorting through all that data that, that we have as, as seed companies. And, you know, we, we've got our own pathology lab down in Memphis, Tennessee, where we, we send everything in and we, you know, we got samples that we send in if we don't know what it is. And, but we, all of our varieties get screened through that to understand, you know, what they have and, and we'll redo them each and every year. And we're doing all of our new proprietary stuff there as well to have a really good start on that too. So definitely a big part of the puzzle. Yeah, you're you're right. There's just so many different things that you're going to see uh, across an area and as you go area to area. But even on your own individual farm, and I know for us, we think about different diseases. Well, hey, we've got it over on that quarter, but we don't have it on that 40 close to home. And so it is different. And we got to pick different varieties a lot of times for the different fields that we're in. 
Yeah, that's true. And, you know, and I, I cover, uh, you know, most of Iowa. I got uh, quite a bit of South Dakota here now that I cover as well. And, and definitely as you, you dig through all that, uh, there's, there's a lot of pieces uh, that we've got to understand and how those varieties are going to handle that. But, you know, I still go back to uh, SCN is, is one of the main yield robbers that we have. And, you know, understanding how that variety handles that and then really how the expression of the trait, whether it be a peaking or PI-8788 and the, the reproduction factor of the cyst on that, that's a big part of that puzzle. You know, and then, we, you know, you're just talking about SES definitely there. Probably had more white mold show up this year. It uh, really crossed western Iowa, uh, southwest Minnesota, into uh, South Dakota there as well than we've had in a long time. So uh, a big, a big part of that puzzle. And you know, there's a lot of products out there that can that help us get there. But variety selection is still top of mind and one of the biggest things that we can do each and every year. You know, it's another thing too that, uh, like you mentioned, the white mold and and how man, it was it was a bad year. And and you think, well, wait a second, we started off so dry, but there were some rains that came just at the wrong time for white mold development, of course. And boom, you got a problem. So there's no guarantee, even though last year was a bad year, no guarantee this year will be a bad year. But boy, if I had white mold last year, I'm sure going to be playing defense for it this year. Yeah, I'm going to be thinking that through, right? I'm going to be making sure that I understand these varieties and that they were screened, you know, for that in my local area. And I want to be able to understand and have confidence in selecting that variety. So yeah, reaching out to your seed supplier and, and making sure that they know what they have and not just going off of a grading in a book, uh, you know, because it's definitely understanding a local variety screen in a, in a high white mold pressure area is a big piece of that and having confidence, you know, in that variety selection process. Yeah, there's a lot of things that we have to do as farmers, and it's hard to find time to do all those things, finding trusted resources with people that are out in the fields, checking things out, and, and doing the studies uh, is really, really important. you got to have good resources around you. Uh, one of those resources, Bill Backus with BASF, is kind enough to be on today. Bill, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. I know you're super busy, but really appreciate having you on. No, appreciate it. Again, you guys have a great holiday season, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. You bet. Sounds great. Let's head down to Northeast Tennessee. Got Scott on with us right now. How you doing, Scott? Uh, not too bad. How are you doing? We're doing well. Doing well. What can I do for you? Um, well, okay, so I don't, I mean, I'm not, I really am not a major farmer, okay? I, I got about 180 acres. I'm raising soybeans and corn to feed the cattle. Awesome. Okay, I don't, so I'm not raising it to sell. I just raise it so I can feed, you know, we we roast the soybeans and then grind them up and then we make ear corn and, you know, so we do our feed. So I basically rotate corn, soybeans back and forth. And there's really not, I mean, I don't think there's anybody growing any grains within probably 10 miles or more of me. So, I mean, am I have, do I have to worry quite as much on the soybean traits? You know what? That's a great point, Scott. When you're kind of the only guy doing what you're doing and nobody's really close to you, that definitely helps reduce your potential for having some of the problems that we talk about on the show. Like for us, uh, when when we say, oh man, even on our first year corn, rootworms are a big problem and northern corn leaf blight can be a problem and these kinds of things. Well, we got every neighbor around us is doing it. And, and you look at where we're at in the eastern Dakotas or you look at the state of Iowa when such a massive percentage of the acres are farmed. Uh, it's way different than when you get into some areas where 
Uh, you might be the only guy, yeah, like you say, in five miles, 10 miles, or even more. So, no, you're absolutely right, Scott. It's not as likely for you to have a disease issue as others. But what I would do is just kind of monitor what you got with your crop rotation. That definitely helps. Um, and, you know, just monitor if you have some sort of disease. Just picking a, the best variety you can to, to try to help you manage it along the way. I'm sure with the livestock, you got plenty of work to do every day. The last thing you want is <laughs> having to scout every acre of those fields. You don't just don't have time. Right. Well, I mean, you know, and I, uh, I mean, I haven't really noticed really any real problems with the corn, you know, at all. And then I haven't really, I don't know. I'm not exactly even sure exactly. I'd have to, I got to look and see exactly what white mold looks like because I don't even know if I've ever seen it. So No, uh, I think you're warm enough so in Tennessee that it's not as likely to be a problem there. I think you've got to be a little bit okay. cooler for that to be a big issue. But uh, on the other hand, there are okay. more problems okay. that, yeah. that you guys further south have that we don't have up here. So uh, winter kills some of our problems off. I mean, winter is still winter in Tennessee, but it's not quite as harsh as it is <laughs> no, in Fargo, North Dakota. Not even close. <laughs> not even close. I, I don't suppose you only bury your water lines 12 inches deep, right? No, no, absolutely not. Because that's what they do down here. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's it's just different. Yeah, it's just different. Inches. <laughs> no, so, that's... Okay, well, I'm just curious because, like I said, I don't, you know— I, there's really nobody around me farming anything, and and then I rotate mine back and forth, and I really don't ever see anything. You know, my problems is if I don't get any rain, you know, or I get too much rain, one or the other. Okay, that's my problem is the weather. Yeah, <laughs> is yeah. the one problem I have. <laughs> you bet. So, yeah, that's that's uh, right. And it seems like there's so. never the ideal year where it just rains. Uh, every week, just once a week, you catch a nice inch of rain or anything like that. It's all or nothing. It seems like. <laughs> So well, a lot of times that is. Last year I did really good. I uh, I, had, I had pretty good uh, luck, and I did about 220 bushel of corn, which I was extremely proud of. Because I mean, usually if I get 150, I'm happy. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's a lot so of feed. So and I mean, uh, yeah. So does that mean so, get more cattle? But no, no, that means that I didn't <laughs> I didn't plant any corn this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have no, enough that's... left over that I. And I had that we just using two years worth. So. Oh wow! Yeah, that is that is awesome to get a crop like that. Hey Scott, we got to run. Thank you so much. Really appreciate the call today, and good luck to you. Really appreciate it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. How can Naturals products help you raise bigger and better crops? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Biologicals, or naturals as we call them, are impacting every facet of agriculture today, and that will only grow in the future. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals Workshop, Wednesday, February 7th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of naturals products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. 
Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll answer that question at our free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop Thursday, February 8th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep into your best options for control of yield-robbing pests, trade options including ExtendFlex and Enlist, fertility, and much more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and more fun, come to the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking a little about soybean variety selection on today's program. And one of the best there is anywhere at raising soybeans is our friend Kip Cullors down in Missouri. Kip, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, how's it going today? That's going pretty good. You know, one of the things I think is your secret weapon, Kip, is that you really have fun growing crops. It's just fun for you to be challenged. It's fun for you to try to to reach new levels of productivity with whatever kind of crop you're raising. You do raise a bunch of different crops. Uh, talk about soybean varieties a little bit. Is disease tolerance a big deal, or is it fixing the other challenges in the field so you don't have problems? Well, we try to fix other other challenges. Our biggest challenge is we have a little sudden death. But most of all, our soybeans are all double crop planted behind wheat. And uh, we have a sudden death. And then we can have a cyst problem, too. We try to find some varieties that's more tolerant to cyst because we have a lot of times we may grow some beans on beans, and uh, that becomes a little bigger of a challenge. This year, it was kind of crazy uh, what happened to us. We planted. We started planting double crop beans the 12th of June, and and uh, man, they just wouldn't. They wouldn't dry down, and and it, we'd have two to three beans on every plant uh, pods that would stay. They, they stayed green. I think we got our freeze like the day before Halloween, and it, it what was crazy. They might have been in the top, middle, or the lower half of the plant, and there was no rhyme or reason. I've about decided it was some sort of viral deal we got into, and and I think it was variety, and uh, we're going to be switching varieties next year. 
Yeah. Yeah. You just, there are some crazy things out there and they're definitely viruses. I know we talked about that uh, tobacco ring spot virus that, that you've seen before where the plant stays green and it puts on a ton of pods, but it doesn't transfer over to the next year. If you replant those seeds, there's something weird with a virus. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't have anything like that, and, uh, and but they wouldn't dry down. It's just like a corn or corn wouldn't dry down uh this year and normally we're fighting it getting too dry on us versus you know not drying down which i know you guys up north that's crazy but uh shoot we could be picking nine percent corn if we're not careful wow wow hey talk to us about that nematode tolerance a little bit because there there are starting to be some more peking varieties out there and there's also a bunch of different seed treatments that are claiming to to help on soybean cyst nematode have you found anything that's that's really made a difference I've not really found anything that's bulletproof. It just seems like we try to pick varieties that's maybe more tolerant. I guess would be the best way to put it, more tolerant. <laughs> there, uh, and boy, do you guys, do you have much of a cyst problem up there? We, we're very fortunate on our farm. We don't have very much. And, and right now with all the silage that we're doing, we're doing a little more corn on corn, which spreads out the variety. So soybeans are going on fields maybe every third year instead of every other year. And I think that's really helped us a lot too. Yeah, well, they can, one of them suckers can be a yield robber now. Uh, you'll have big circles out in the field, and uh, it, it can definitely be a challenge. But that's what we try to do, just, you know, try to switch off the beans for a year or two. Uh, then, you know, we go back to it again, because wheat bean rotation makes more money than the corn does. Yeah, and that's that is the challenge that you kind of find out what's making money, and you're trying to to maximize that. But at the same time, these diseases are are trying to fight you. How about things like frog eye and target spot? Do you have those problems where you're at in Missouri? We do, but we just put fungicide on, and and it's not it it don't seem to hit us too bad on the double crops versus planting them early in the spring. Uh, so we don't we do fight it, but like I said, we. We're combating that with a good fungicide program, and we just don't – we can control it, I guess. Yeah, there are other things that can be done. Like you mentioned, the fungicide passes. I know on our farm uh, that that's been really helpful on our soybeans too. We really like those fungicides, especially for us after the reproductive stages have started. It seems like that's where most of our disease problems come in. And you mentioned SDS is one that that can be sometimes a problem, not as huge a problem. Yeah. But man, I like those fungicides like Saltro and Olivo. They've they've really been helpful. Yeah, the Levo, I don't know, though. You're talking about for the seed treatment? Or? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it seems like to me that we've had a little yield drag sometimes if we run too much Levo. Um, well, that one definitely know, shows kinda, up on the plant. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, so we try to steer away from that, but we have used it. Uh, it, we, it, it just seems like that. Sudden death just rears its ugly head, at, you know, when you at least expecting. It's like what in the world? And you know, you got three or four dead plants in a row, and and uh, it's like, yep, that's sudden death. Well, I know 
when we look at, at top yields, uh, we we haven't been able to compete against you, Kip, on soybeans. <laughs> You've been able to clean our clocks on the beans a little bit, and uh, so yeah, you get a couple of dead plants here and there. All of a sudden, you're not going to catch the hundred plus bushel beans that that you're counting on. And you know, for us, uh, we see the same things here when we're in the 70, 80 bushel yield environment. Uh, man, it can really add up quick for us. I imagine it's twice as bad when you've got double the yield. Uh, it's it's double the yield hit on some of these problems too. Yeah, and especially when we're trying to cut our plant population back to keep them standing, uh, losing a few plants out there becomes a bit a bigger deal. But you know, I tell you what's crazy is we've had final stands in the '60s and still pull off tremendous yields off of that. I did. I think we for so long. I, it took me forever to finally figure it out. I guess I'm a slow learner, but uh, we finally started cutting our plant population back and our yield come up with us. Uh, heck, even on our double crop beans, you know, if we don't have too much straw, if if the straw is not just horrible out there, uh, heck, we only plant dropping 120,000 even as late as we are planting. I mean, that's like top end for us. Wow. Yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, just changing some of those things up. You've always been a student of the crops that you're raising. I, there's no nobody I know that works harder at, at trying to learn things than you, Kip, and really appreciate it. I like all these tips that we get from you, and uh, appreciate every time we get you on the show. Uh, thanks for being on today. We really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, sir. Talking about disease tolerance in soybean varieties uh, today. And we also talked about nutrients just a little bit. Had a nutrient question that came in from Caleb over in Wisconsin. He said, hey, guys, how mobile is calcium in the soil? We're trying to balance our calcium and magnesium ratio. And just wondering if we put on high calcium lime or gypsum, does that need to be worked into the soil? Well, uh, it doesn't, Caleb. It will move down with moisture. So if you're getting plentiful moisture, it can move those down through the soil a little faster. What we found, especially as you go west in the Corn Belt in areas where they, they are getting 10 to 15 inches of annual precip, it just takes longer for that stuff to work. So if you want to speed it up, you can definitely do some tillage, uh, but it will work its way down through the soil. And in fact, uh, that really helps because then it's binding to other things that are in excess and flushing them out along the way. Uh, another or question here Caleb had is uh, guys who've been deep banding 8 to 12 inches deep dry fertilizer like P, K, zinc manganese and iron things that don't move in the soil very well. Been doing that for 10 years in our strip till but we're still seeing some stratification issues out there if it's like the crop is pulling nutrients out of the soil and laying what nutrients are left in the residue on the surface, creating this layer of stratification. Uh, I'm not excited about doing full-scale tillage due to the slope and the land that we farm, and cover crops are a challenge to get established consistently this far north. What else can I do to manage nutrient stratification? Uh, that's a great question, Caleb, and it's one we struggle with on our farm too because you're right. If you could just do full-scale tillage, if you had nice flat ground and you could immediately get a cover crop growing right after that so nothing blows away, washes away, whatever, that would be wonderful. But it may involve changing a crop rotation if only for one season. Where Just an example. Let's just say you go to, to small grains and you get them off the end of July and you've got a great opportunity where there's some rain coming up in the next week or so. You can seed a cover crop and, and do a great job getting that established. We've seen following a cereal grain 
rotation, putting a cover crop back in, just have tremendous growth, tremendous root depth, those types of things. That would be one solution, just switching the crop rotation. The other thing that Brian has been talking about, and we haven't really done this yet, but he's been working on me on this one, is because I have the same problem. We've got some slope. He said, what if we went in and did some deeper tillage, but we only did it in strips, not like strip till, but like one pass, maybe it's 30 feet wide, and then you leave passes in between that are intact, so if there is any kind of washing or anything like that, we catch it right away. Might be something to consider because you're right, the crops are pulling nutrients out and they are going to leave it lay on top of the surface as that residue breaks down. Thanks for the questions, Caleb. We really appreciate it. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.